Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, your word is so powerful. It changes hearts so that we no longer sin against you, but we are actually righteous before you. We can actually do good rather than evil. Lord, we pray that as we read your word this morning, that it may indeed keep us from error in the future. May it make us live more like your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray if anyone here this morning is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray as they hear from your word and as they hear your word preached, we pray that you may change their heart so that they do become one of your chosen people so that they can be with you forever in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you know anything about pain, you know that when you are in pain, the first thing you know that you should do is stop whatever it is that is causing the pain. You should get rid of the problem. And for me, whenever I'm in pain, which doesn't happen all that much, I know that that generally means I should stop exercising. Exercise is usually one of those things that causes me pain. Other people think that exercising and pain is a good thing, that it's somehow making you a healthier person, but I take the body's pain signals as a reason to stop exercising. And so we know what we should not do when we experience pain, and we avoid whatever it is that is causing us the pain. But we also then are told, we also know that there are things that we should do. So we should avoid certain things, we should stop doing something, but we should also embrace doing something that will help us with the pain. And for me, my common cure for everything is two paracetamol. Two Panadol tablets are a pretty good deal. I like to, uh, there was a stage there when I was going through uh, university where every morning I started my day with two Panadol and a caffeine tablet to get the day going. And, uh, and that was because I generally wake up with a headache of some sort. And so 2-Panadol is a cure for everything for me. And, uh, and so we know that when we have a problem, when we have some sort of pain, we know we've got to try and avoid whatever it is that is causing the pain and we've got to know what not to do. And then we've got to know what to do. Now last week we started looking at the the pain that we experience as Christians. When we become a Christian, we start to experience pain for serving God. And Peter firstly told us what we should not do when we experience pain, what we should not do, what we should avoid when going through painful trials. And that was in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. We've been slowly working through 1 Peter and we've come to uh, verse 13. But last week we saw in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4, which is found on page 1203, 1203 of the Black Church Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4, little number verse 12, we saw what we're not to do. What was that? In verse 12 it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. So last week we saw what we're not to do, which is what? Do not be surprised at the painful trial we are suffering as Christians. We're not to be surprised. And this week Peter starts to tell us what to do instead. He starts to tell us in verse 13 what we should do when we experience painful trials as Christian. And that brings me to my first main point this morning. If you want to see my main points, they're on the back of the church bulletin there and you can follow along. My first main point this morning is about what we are to do when we experience painful trials for being a Christian. And that is rejoice because you suffer. Rejoice because you suffer. And that's in verse 13. It says, Peter says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ 
so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter says, when you experience pain, don't be surprised is a thing not to do. And then he says, what do you do when you experience pain for being a Christian? Rejoice. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, is Peter crazy? Has he lost the plot here? That's not the natural response. Whenever we experience pain, you have a party and get your friends over and say, rejoice with me, I'm experiencing suffering for being a Christian. It sounds ridiculous. He's not advising here, take two Panadol and go to bed and have a bit of a rest or take a caffeine tablet as well. He's saying rejoice. And it almost sounds sadistic. It sounds like he enjoys pain. When pain comes around, he, he has some sort of sick enjoyment out of pain. Has Peter lost the plot here? Has he actually deviated from the biblical teachings? Has Peter gone out on a limb on his own here in saying that you should rejoice when you experience pain for being a Christian? Is Peter on his own here? Has he actually deviated? And should this verse be in the Bible at all? Is this actually come from God? Well, no, Peter is indeed teaching what the rest of the New Testament teaches. There are many passages in particularly the New Testament, that teach about rejoicing when we experience suffering for being a Christian. For example, Paul says in a couple of places, he says in Romans 5 verse 3, he says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. And then he says in Colossians 1 24, he says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, speaking to the church in Colossae. He rejoices in that suffering. The author of Hebrews says, that uh, the people who he's writing to, you sympathise with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. When those people, those converted Jews that he was writing to, the author of Hebrews, they had people come and seize their property for being Christians. What did they do? They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. The apostles in Acts, when they're arrested, they're beaten, they're flogged. What do they do? They rejoice. We read in Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. James, the brother of uh, Jesus, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And then Jesus himself, what does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then he says, rejoice and be glad. When people persecute you, insult you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you, what does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad. So clearly Peter is not out on a limb. He's very much in accordance with the rest of the New Testament, with the rest of the teachings of the apostles and even of Jesus himself. The question then is, well, why should we rejoice? Yes, we've been given this command and, okay, yes, if God says we're supposed to rejoice when it's painful, well, then we will, but why? And we want to know why so that that will help us rejoice when we suffer for being a Christian. So why should we rejoice? What motivates Peter and all these others to suggest such an absurd notion that we should rejoice in suffering? Well, there's a number of reasons, and they're given throughout the New Testament whenever this subject is brought up. And Peter's going to give us several, but I just want to look at two today. And the first is my second main point. Rejoice because you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice because you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And he says that in verse 13. He says, 
but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. When you suffer, remember that you're participating in the sufferings of Christ and that should help you rejoice to know that you participate in Christ's sufferings. But what does it mean then that we participate in Christ's sufferings? When someone persecutes us, how does that help us to know that we're participating in Christ's sufferings? What does it mean? Well, some think that when it says you participate in Christ's sufferings, it means that you're experiencing the kinds of suffering that Jesus experienced on this earth. We just look at the life of Jesus and we see how much he suffered. He suffered all kinds of ways. He suffered rejection, even from his own family, uh, for teaching what he taught. He suffered insults. He got beaten. And ultimately, he suffered great torture at the cross and then death. And so when we feel rejection, when we feel persecution for being Christians, we could remember that this is what Jesus has experienced. The same kinds of sufferings that Jesus experienced, we experience today. But then the question is, well, yes, that's true and that's good and all, but how does that help me rejoice? I mean, if my friend, or let's say Jill, walks into a brick wall, and then does that mean I walk into a brick wall because she's also walked into one, and so then that helps me rejoice in the pain that I've experienced? She's also experienced the pain of walking into a brick wall, and now I've walked into a brick wall, and we can commiserate together in some way? How does that help me rejoice? Well, I don't think that's what Peter is getting at when he says you participate in the sufferings of Christ is meaning you participate in the same kinds of sufferings of Christ that he experienced when he was on this earth. I think what Peter means is you participate in the sufferings that Christ is experiencing even now as he is in heaven. He's experiencing suffering even now. Now, what does that mean? That sounds, starts to sound like I'm saying that he's experiencing still suffering, particularly atonement for sin. Does that mean that Jesus, when we talk about the sufferings of Christ, we usually go straight to the cross? Does that mean that Jesus is still paying for sin? No. The Bible is very clear that the suffering that Jesus needed to un- undertake to pay for our sins, is indeed finished. At the cross, it is finished. Jesus cried out at the cross, it is finished. And we read in Hebrews 10, 14, that by one sacrifice, he, that's Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It is by one sacrifice. The sufferings of Christ for sin at the cross, to pay for your sins, is indeed over. Jesus does not suffer anymore for your sins. And if we have some sort of idea that the communion service that we have later on today is somehow another sacrifice of Jesus, well, that's wrong. The sacrifice is ended. Jesus has suffered and ended the pain that is that we owe for our sins. So what does it mean then that Jesus is still suffering today? Why would I say that? Well, the Bible does teach that every time a Christian experiences pain for being a Christian, Christ feels that pain too. As his people are being persecuted around the world, Jesus feels that pain. He feels the persecution. And the clear example of that being taught in the Bible is when Jesus himself speaks to Saul, who later becomes Paul, on the road to Damascus. What does he say? It says there that Saul fell to the ground in Acts 9, 4 to 5. It says he fell to the ground and heard a voice to say to him, Saul, Saul, 
Why do you persecute me? Not why do you persecute my people? Why do you persecute my church? Why do you persecute Christians? No, why do you persecute me? And Saul then says, who are you, Lord? Because he's like, I, I, I haven't been persecuting anyone, particularly someone that's talking to me from heaven. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You are, present tense, persecuting. You are persecuting right now every time you put up Christian in jail, Saul, you're putting me in jail. Every time you beat a Christian, you are beating me. You are persecuting me. And that's what's going on when Peter says here, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. When you suffer for being a Christian, you join in Christ's suffering that Jesus is experiencing from all those persecuting the church around the world. Jesus is suffering right now. And when you step up and get persecuted for being a Christian, you join in with what Christ is experiencing even now and what the rest of his people around the world are experiencing as well. The pain you feel when someone thinks badly of you, insults you, physically hurts you for being a Christian, Christ feels that pain too. And you're joining in with the pain that he is experiencing as his church is persecuted around the world. But then the question remains is, well, why does that make me rejoice? Okay, so I understand what it means to participate in the sufferings of Christ. That means that I'm joining in as he is being persecuted around the world. But how does that help me rejoice? Why should I rejoice that I am participating in Christ's sufferings with the global community of God? How does that make me happy and rejoice? Well, when you suffer with Christ, it means that you are definitely one with Christ and therefore are certainly a Christian. See, when you become a Christian, you will sometimes struggle with doubt about whether you really are joined to Christ. You know what it is to become a Christian, that you need to repent of your sins and believe that Jesus Christ died for you. But at times you may struggle with doubt and you say, how do I know I really am a Christian? How do I know that I really am going to heaven when I die? And there's a number of tests in the Bible that we can make to see whether we really are a Christian. And one way is by whether we suffer for Christ, by whether we suffer. And that's what Peter is saying here, that when we, re- we should rejoice because we participate in the sufferings of Christ. How do you know that you really are part of the family of God? Well, it's when you suffer with the family of God. Because basically, when you've become a Christian, you've joined a huge army. You've become a soldier in Christ's army. And you are now fighting spiritual battles all over the place, particularly with Satan and his demons and evil authorities that are working against you. And then people who are outside the kingdom of God are going to start fighting with you as well. You join a massive army. But the question then is, how do I know I'm in the army? Because lots of people sign up for armies. They sign the dotted line, yes, I'm going to be a soldier. And then they jump ship. They go AWOL. They are absent without leave. And they aren't really soldiers in the army at all. And some people actually go over to the other side. They sign up for the army, but then they see that the enemy is actually a better deal, and so they switch sides. How do you know you're really in the army? How does people in the armed forces know that their soldiers are really committed soldiers, that they're really part of the army? Well, one of the big tests is, do they actually go into battle and suffer 
in battle. That's why they give medals often to to the soldiers. They, it proves that they really are part of their army and commends them for their service. And so you can look at a soldier and you say, oh, he's been to a particular war, he, he, got, he got inflicted with bodily pain because he was over there, he got shot in the leg or shot in the shoulder. He really is a soldier. He really is. And we commemorate that person for really being a part of the army. And it's the same in Christ's army. When you join Christ's army, you then suffer for being part of that army. It helps prove you are indeed a Christian. And in fact, that suffering that you experience for being a Christian becomes a badge of honour. It proves your Christianity. Paul obviously shows this in the way that he speaks about his authority as an apostle. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's having conflict with the church in Galatia because people are there teaching a false gospel. And he's coming in and saying, no, this is the true gospel. And then how does he prove his authority? Well, he proves it in a number of ways. But one way he proves it, he says, don't let anyone bug me about what I teach because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Meaning he's got, he's got whip marks, he's got scars on his body proving that he is indeed a soldier of Christ's army. And that's why in 2 Corinthians, another church that was in great trouble with false teachers, what does he list towards the end in 2 Corinthians 11? He goes through a whole list of his sufferings to prove that he is indeed a soldier in God's army and is an authority to speak. He says, those super apostles, where are their marks of Christ? Where are the wounds that they have suffered in Christ's army? And he goes through, it's a big list of what he has suffered for being a Christian. And he holds that up as a trophy, as a badge that I am definitely one to speak as an authority in Christ's church. I am definitely a Christian. I know the true gospel. Listen to me, church in Galatia. Listen to me, churches, the church in Corinth. And so when you suffer... You should rejoice because that proves, that suffering demonstrates that you share in Christ's sufferings and so you are one with Christ and truly a Christian. When you have that little doubt in your mind, am I a Christian? Just think about what you've suffered for being a Christian. The pain that you may have had from others for affirming Christianity, for trying to share the gospel with them, the love that you have shown to them and then they've rejected you. That is a badge of honour and it is a reason to rejoice. Then you say, well, why should I rejoice that I am proven to be a Christian? Well, that brings me to my third and last main point this morning. Rejoice because you will be overjoyed. It says in verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Okay, so you know that what it is to participate in the sufferings of Christ, to be wounded for being a Christian, for serving him. You know that that then means that you are part of his family. Well, what good is that? Well, it means that one day you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you participate in Christ's suffering and so definitely a Christian, it means that you will be overjoyed one day. When will that day be? Well, it will be when Christ's glory is revealed, 
when Christ, you'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Yes, you may suffer at the moment, but one day you will be glorified and will be overjoyed. See, the army you have joined is on the winning side. Christ's army is winning. Yes, we're in a spiritual battle at the moment, but the war is over. There was one major conflict, which often happens in wars. There's one battle that is the deciding battle, and there's the same with Christ's army and the war that he is fighting. And that battle was fought and won by Jesus Christ alone, and that was fought at the cross. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was fighting sin and death, and he went to that cross and suffered there as he fought sin and death, and he won. He won that battle. Nobody else was there with him to take pain with him. He was there alone at the cross, and he fought it, and he won. How do we know he won that battle? Well, he was resurrected afterwards. If you fight death and you get back up again, it means death has lost. Sin is paid for. His resurrection is the victory over sin and death. The victor- and he rose victorious from that battle. Yes, there are still battles going on, though. But we are on the winning side. We know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If someone asks you to prove Christianity is true, you've got to go back to the resurrection because it all stems on, it all stands on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, then that battle has not been won and it's pointless us engaging in other battles because it means that our king is not the winning king that we think he is if he's still in the grave, if he's still dead today. But if he has been resurrected, it proves that we are on the winning side. Nothing can defeat us. Death can't defeat us. Sin can't defeat us. If Jesus, our king, has defeated death and sin. And so that means one day we will have the victory march. We will be glorified as people who are part of the winning army. At the moment, it may not feel like we're winning as we suffer for being a Christian. We go into the workplace, people hound us for being a Christian. feels like we're losing. But we are winning and one day we will be shown to indeed be victorious because we will receive Christ's glory and we will be overjoyed. That's what it's saying here. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed and we will share in that glory. When Jesus comes back victorious, glorified, we will share in that glory. Peter actually insists on this in a number of places in his book. 1 Peter 1 verse 7 shows that we will share in his glory. Just turn back a few pages. 1 Peter 1, verse 7. It's talking about suffering there in 1 Peter 1, verse 7, in 1 Peter 1, verse 6. And then it says in verse 7, These have come, meaning the trials, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. You will receive praise, glory, and honour when Jesus comes back. Then over in chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Flip back over. To the elders among you, Peter says, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Peter expects to receive glory 
when Jesus returns because he is part of Christ's army. And he has suffered, but he is going strong. He is going to be glorified. And then verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And then 5 verse 10, a few verses down. Verse 10 it says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will make himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. It's wonderful when we suffer then. Why? Because it means we participate in Christ's sufferings, which means we're definitely a Christian, which means that one day we will be overjoyed. We rejoice now to some extent, but we've still got pain coming on us. But one day there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, and we will be overjoyed, exceedingly joyful, is what it's saying there in verse 13. When Christ comes back. Yes, we rejoice now, but we will be overjoyed. And that's what we look forward to. And that then gives us rejoicing now. So we suffer now for a little while, but we know that we are reaping an eternal reward and glory. And so just like every athlete, we should know that without pain, there is no gain. I spoke at the beginning about how I try to avoid pain from exercise. But really, I am ignoring the truth that without pain, there is no gain. That if I continue to just lie in my bed all day, it it won't be very painful at first, but eventually it will be. I need to understand that without pain, there is no gain. Do you understand that? Do you understand that without pain, there is no gain? Without suffering for Christ, you won't gain because your Christianity is in doubt. It's very hard to be a Christian, a professing, active, serving Christian without getting any type of suffering. As soon as people find out you're a Christian and you start serving, you'll experience pain. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to ask you why you've not joined the army of God. Do you realise that you're on the losing side? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has proven that every other religion is false. God would not have honoured Jesus Christ with the resurrection if he was a liar, a cheat, and the the cross was nothing. It was just a, a man dying an excruciating death. If that's what Jesus was there is no way God would have let him come back to life. But he has come back to life and is proven from the scriptures. We have a reliable historical record that Jesus Christ did indeed come back to life. And that means Christianity is the winning side. Why don't you join the winning side? Why don't you repent of your sins and believe that Jesus Christ died for you and become part of his army? Yes, you will feel pain for being a Christian. But you will be on the winning side. And with the pain that comes now, you'll be reaping an eternal glory. And if you are a Christian, when you suffer for being a Christian, do you grumble, complain, maybe even consider toning back on the works that you are doing for God? I said last week, it's interesting that right after Peter has been speaking about serving, he then moves into speaking about suffering. Back in verse 11, he talks all about serving. He knows that once you start serving, you're going to start copying it. And when you cop it, 
there will be a temptation to wind back on the service, to wind back your professional faith, wind back speaking the very words of God, because it hurts. Is that your reaction when you suffer? Or do you rejoice knowing that the pain you feel for being a Christian is also what Christ feels? You're participating with him and the worldwide church in the pain as people reject Christ. And so your suffering means you are firmly in Christ's army, fighting for Christ. And your wounds, that rejection that people throw upon you, are actually your badges of honour. Because one day you will be overjoyed as Jesus Christ's glory is revealed and you receive part of that glory as well in him because of his work through you. Let us speak now with our God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great encouragement from your word that it does indeed prepare us to live as your people. Lord, we pray that we may understand more and more what it means to suffer for you. Lord, we are such sinful creatures and when we experience pain and suffering, we so often want to give up on doing what is right and instead go for the easy way and do what is wrong. Lord, we pray that we may not do so. We pray that when we suffer for being a Christian, we may know that this means that we participate in Christ's suffering and that means that we really are part of his family, part of his army, and that this means one day we'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed and he comes back to reign eternally over the new heavens and the new earth and us as his people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.